Matt Chasen, um, song incredibly um, appropriate for the text that we are in today. I'll be honest with you, uh, this is a uh, this is not an easy sermon uh, that we're going to hear today, and but I would say an incredibly important sermon that we are going to hear about an important text of what it means for the church to be a part of the advancement of the gospel around the world. Um, is what we're going to look at today in the book of Acts. But before we do that, let's do what we do every single week. Let's remind ourselves of the gospel in saying John 3.16, and then join with Christians all over the world in praying the Lord's Prayer. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, if you can open it up to Acts chapter 13. We're just going to look at a couple of verses today, the first three verses here. And, and, and here's why. This text is really the jumping off point for the rest of the book of Acts. This is a hinge point in here. And what we're going to see is really just the spread of the gospel around the world. Really the sending out of the first missionaries. So open up Acts 13 and let's look at verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. In 1993, Christianity Today told the story of a missionary in India named M.V. Varganese. He would often go to the, the, the Hindu holy city of Vardwar, of, I'm sorry, of Hardwar on the, on the Ganges River, and he would go there to have conversations with people about Jesus. See, many, many people would go there, Hindus would go there seeking forgiveness. The goddess Ganges, the, the Ganges River, was believed to be you could go there and plunge yourself and to wash yourself of your sins. So people would go there to find this forgiveness of their sins. And he would go there to tell people about where true forgiveness can come from. But about 30 minutes before he arrived one day, a young Indian girl named Alila had waded into the Ganges River holding her baby boy. She got about waist deep in the water and began to sob, all the while holding her baby boy. And then all of a sudden... She took her baby and she threw him into the river. She then walked back up onto the side of the river and sat down sobbing, screaming, beating her chest in grief. Varganese came over to her and he sat down beside her and he put his arm around her and he asked her, young lady, why are you crying? And this is what she said. She said, the problems in my home are too many. And my sins are great, and they are heavy on my heart. 
So I offered the best I have to the goddess Ganges, my first son, hoping to be forgiven. He then began to tell her of the story of Jesus, of his love, of his sacrifice, of the fact that she could just, believe, by believing in him, because of what he's done, by believing in him, all of her sins could be forgiven. All that time, her head is still in her hands. And after she, he got done telling her about Jesus, she looked up and she looked at him strangely. She said this. She said, I've never, I've heard, I've never heard these words before. And then she said something astounding. She said, why couldn't you have gotten here 30 minutes earlier? Then my son would not have died. Now, that's an intense story. But here's why I share that. This story is an example of why we at First Baptist Hendersonville believe that missions is absolutely necessary. You see, we have been given the beautiful life-giving message of the gospel that the people of the world desperately need. We have been given a mandate by Jesus to get the gospel to all nations, to make disciples of all nations. One pastor said it this way, missions exist because worship doesn't around the world, and what we've been called to do is to take that seriously. Now, we're going to look today at the first church who really made this a priority, and this is the church at Antioch. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, these were the first disciples who were actually called Christians. And what they choose to do, as we'll see in this text, is absolutely fascinating. But before we do that, here's what I want to do. I want to give you some information on the city and then also some information on the church. The city Antioch is an important city for the, for the Roman Empire. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, located in what's today northern Syria, boasting some 500,000 people in the city. It was called the Queen of the East, and it had major highways that went north and south and east. So if you can imagine, incredible trade happened there, and it brought people from all over the world to live there. Listen to the diversity of the of this city. Greeks, Romans, Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Egyptians, Africans, Indians, and Asians all lived in the city. They all lived in Antioch. An incredibly diverse place. Think of somewhere like New York City today. But what's really cool is to see that the church of Antioch, Antioch their leadership reflected that diversity. In verse 1, we are giving, given the, the five teachers and prophets of the church in Antioch. And let me explain to you who these people were. First, we're given Barnabas. Barnabas was a Cyprian Jewish believer. Cyprus was an island off, off the, um, in the Mediterranean Sea. And then we get Simeon who was also called Niger. His name means black or dark, and most people believe that he was from Africa. And then you get Lucian of Cyrene. Cyrene was in North Africa and Libya, what we know today. So now we have two people from Africa. And then Manaean, now this guy's really interesting, says that he grew up with Herod, which probably meant that he came from wealth and power and the royal upper class. Now, not only that, think about this. This is the same Herod who persecuted Christians and had John the Baptist beheaded. And now his friend is the pastor of one of the most influential churches in the world. And finally, we're given Saul or Paul. And we know about him. He was formerly a Pharisee. He would have been highly educated, been trained as an academic who knew the scriptures well. This is a very diverse group of leaders, is it not? In a very diverse city, 
And it should not surprise us that it is from this diverse group that the worldwide missions movement was birthed. So here's what we're going to see today when we look at this text, and really when we look at the rest of the book of Acts, that it was not the church in Jerusalem, the first church that changed the world. It was actually the church of Antioch that changed the world. Why? Why in the world did God use this church? Why was it these people, this church that God used to change the world? I believe this text today shows us why. In this text, we get three marks of the church. Three characteristics of this church, of the reason why God used them. And what my prayer is by the end of this, that we would see that we would desire these same three marks for First Baptist Hendersonville. So the first mark of this, why was it that it was this church that God used to change the world? It was because they were desperate for the presence of God. They were desperate for the presence of God. Look at verse 2. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now it's easy to look at this right here and think that this was a special called prayer service, a special meeting for worship, but it was not. This word worshiping that's here, that it's translated worshiping, is the Greek word liturgio, which is where we get the word liturgy. Maybe you've heard that before. So we get the word liturgy. Do you know what liturgy is? It's just the form of public worship. It's not only high churches that have liturgy, we have liturgy as well, and you might not even realize it. If you notice, we do pretty much the same thing every Sunday, do we not? We come in, we sing a couple songs, we have a welcome, and then we sing some more songs, we have a scripture reading, and then we have a prayer where we ask God to, to work in our world, to, to, to bless the offerings, and then we say John 3.16, and we say the Lord's Prayer, and then there's an exposition of the text, and then we sing another song. I mean, this is the liturgy of First Baptist, something that we do every single week. So here's what's really cool here. If we, if we wanted to kind of help understand this text, what they are basically saying is as they gathered to worship Jesus just like they do every single week, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. These were people who desired to gather together and they took their gathering together seriously so much so that it showed a desperation for God. But another word is given here as well. It's also the word fasting. It says they were worshiping and fasting. Now, fasting is basically going without food for a meal or a day or a couple of days. And in that, you're saying this, God, you mean more to me than food. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the Father is what you are saying in fasting. God, I need you and I need your presence. Now, this is something that you obviously can't do every single day because you would die, right? But it is something that you can do on a regular basis or a small basis to draw yourself to God. And what we see here is that the fasting, this fasting indicates that for the church in Antioch, that at this moment, they were desperate for the presence of God. And there was nothing more important to them right now than hearing from God, than being in his presence. This is a specific time where they were wanting to be used by God. And my question for you is this, have you ever gotten to this point of desperation with God? Where you wanted him to move in your life? So much so that you were willing to sacrifice something in your life so that you might feel his presence, to hear his calling, to know where it is that he is wanting you to go. On this topic of desperation, I'll let you know right now, I, am, I do a lot of premarital counseling because we've got a whole bunch of couples in our church that are getting married, which is a good thing. 
It just means there's a lot of nights that Sarah and I have young couples over to our church um, getting to walk through uh, marriage with them. But uh, I had this, uh, this couple who many people in this church would know, Ben and Lucy, who are engaged, and I'm doing their wedding in September. And they came over for their first session the other night. And this is uh, the first session. Here's what we usually do. I like to tell my story, how I came to know Jesus, and Sarah will tell her story in that. And then we'll tell kind of our story on how we, how we met and then you know, kind of led up to this point. And then what I ask them to do is to do the same thing, for them to tell their stories and then how they met. Well, I was struck by the way... Ben and Lucy told the story of the way that they met because it was pretty hilarious and really showed some desperation on, on um, Ben's part. See, Ben was an employee for B.B. Barnes. Maybe you know where that is, the, um, the, the nursery where you can buy plants up in Arden. He was an employee there, and he was having a hard time because he was the youngest person there by a lot. Um, so, you know, just didn't really have anybody to talk to, didn't really know if he wanted to stay an employee there, and was having a hard time until one day... When B.B. Barnes hired a new cashier, Lucy, obviously, and he's one day in the nursery and he looks through the window and he sees Lucy up there at the the cash register and he's like, oh my goodness, I got to figure out some way to talk to this girl. So he begins to rack his mind on how he can do this. Now, here, if you don't know any, if you don't know Ben, he can be very shy at first, and Lucy can attest to this because for the first couple of weeks, Ben would just kind of like follow her around with his mouth open, not really knowing what to say, and, and he's just, I, I, he's trying to formulate a plan. How in the world can I get in front of her? How in the world can I do it? And he finally comes up with an idea. He said, "I know what I'll do. I'll just start buying plants." So he just makes a decision. He's just going to start buying plants. Now, there's two problems with this. First of all. He still lives with his parents, so where's he going to put all these plants? Second of all, plants cost money, and they're not cheap. And he is 19 years, 20 years old at the time. He doesn't have any money. But he said, you know what? It's worth it. I'm going to give up all of my money right here just so I can be in front of C. Lucy's face, just to talk to her, to, to be in her presence. So this is what he starts doing. Almost every single day, almost every shift... Ben would walk up to the cash register with a plant in hand or carrying, you know, the, all the plants on the cart as he's rolling up. And Lucy would be like, Ben, you buy more plants? Yeah, you know, just really trying to expand the garden at the house right now, right? All these times, over and over again, buying these plants. I asked him how many plants he bought. He said, oh, hundreds of dollars worth of plants Ben ended up purchasing. I'm like, Ben, why in the world would you spend hundreds of dollars on plants? He's like, Justin, you don't understand I was desperate to talk to Lucy. Whatever I could do to be in front of her, to be in her presence, I was willing to do it. He said, Justin, there's dead plants everywhere, okay? But it was worth it because I finally got to have a conversation with Lucy. Now, it's a funny story, but here's why I tell you that. What I love about the story is that Ben was desperate to talk to Lucy. He was willing to give up a chunk of his income, sacrificing all of this just so that he could be in the presence of her to have a conversation with her. And so with that, I ask you this question, have you ever been at this point of desperation with God? Willing to sacrifice something in your life to be in his presence. And this is not a hard and fast rule, but I ask you this, could it be that the reason that you do not hear from him currently or or sense his presence is because you have never really sacrificed anything for him? You know, I'm not, giving, I'm not waking up early because I can't give up sleep. I'm not going to wake up and read the Bible or pray. I, I can't give up that sleep. Or, you know, I could never skip a meal or I could never give sacrificially. I couldn't do those things. Well, could it be that you're missing out on what God is wanting you to do in your life 
because you are hoarding all things to yourself instead of giving things up for the God who loves you. See, what we see from this church is that God spoke to them because they were a people in a place of desperation, desiring to be used by him. The second reason that God used the church of Antioch is because their mission was both local and global. It was local and global. Pastor Steve preached a sermon a couple weeks ago that talked about this church and the things that they were doing in the city. They were doing what most Christians of this time were doing, which is called lifestyle evangelism, which is meaning just as you go, you're just telling people about Jesus. In your neighborhoods, at your workplaces, is around you, you're just telling people about who God is and, and seeing people come to faith in Christ. And because of this, their church was growing. It was becoming more diverse. I mean, like the mission of God was moving in this way. And look, let me just say this. This is very important. I will tell you, if we want to see Henderson County changed, we have to take this part of the mission very seriously. But you see, up to this point, nobody had taken seriously the mandate to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they could have been using the excuse that we use sometimes, which is this. Why do we need to go to the other side of the world when there are plenty of people that are here who've never heard of Jesus? Maybe you've thought that before. Or, you know, we don't have to go to the world because the world's come to us. Look, some of that is very true. But can I give you some numbers that will probably astound you? Did you know that there are still 700 people groups totaling in 3 billion people who still have no access to the gospel? 3 billion people, no access to the gospel. Now, why is that important? It's important because of what Jesus told us in Matthew 24, verse 14. He says, The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That word nations could be described as people groups. Now here's the problem with that. We just said there are 700 people groups who've never heard of the name of Jesus. And what this just said is once the gospel reaches all the people groups, then the end will come. I don't know about you, church, but I want to see Jesus. I'm ready to see him. The way that happens is by us as the church taking this mission seriously. See, these words of Jesus means that we have no choice to have both a local and a global mission. Church, we are plan A for the advancement of the gospel. An organization, none of those things. We are plan A. And Paul tells us why. In Romans 10, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him whom they would not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Paul says the ones who have the beautiful feet are the ones who are willing to take the gospel. What I want to do real quick is I want to show you some of the beautiful feet here at First Baptist. Now, I'm not going to ask for people to live, literally come up here and show us their feet because that would be a terrible decision. But I want to show you what I mean by that is there was a pamphlet, a brochure that went out to your house. Maybe you got it. If not, there's some in the, in the vestibule, in the welcome center, on the, on the desk down in the 316 lobby, and it's called Encourage. And what this is, is it talks about all of the missions work that we do here at First Baptist, locally and globally. And did you know this? Dave shared this in a sermon two months ago on a, on a Sunday night. I didn't even realize this. Did you know that including families, there are 40 people from our church right now that are either overseas or being trained to be overseas right now. That's incredible. 
40 people in India, Honduras, Mexico, Turkey, Germany, and in other places that we can't even tell you the names about right now. People from our church with beautiful feet who have gone to the nations to take the gospel there. All of this is found in this brochure that you can have, that you can look at. But what I want to do really quickly is tell you about three girls that are in that list. Their names are this Lottie, Minnie, and Ruth. This right here in front of us is Lottie. All three of these girls, when I came here, were in middle school, which is actually pretty funny to think about. You know, in middle school, you're just trying to convince kids to like wear deodorant, you know, and care about any, something in their life. Who knew that these girls would grow up desiring to take the gospel to the nations? But Lottie and her sister Minnie, their father, when they were, when they were early teenagers took them overseas on mission trips to show them the importance of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm pretty sure their father didn't even know the impact that those trips would have on all their kids and their family. Lottie here, if you can imagine who she's named after, something that we give to every year, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and she is the epitome of that, of Lottie. Like, she is a force ready to take hell on with a water pistol. It's incredible to see. I mean, she's just an incredible girl ready to be sent out. The next person we have is Ruth. Ruth was just a quiet little eighth grader when I moved here, didn't say much, just an innocent little smile. And I saw a lot of that change when she joined our group on New York mission trips two years in a row. I actually got to be a part of with her, her leading someone to Christ in a park in New York City. It was an incredible thing to see. Since then, she's been on other mission trips, been to Mexico and other places. She as well is being sent out. Her and Lottie are going to be going together. They leave in August to Central Asia. And lastly, many. Minnie's story is pretty fascinating. Minnie was adopted from China at a young age. And now she is choosing to go back to East Asia to tell people about Jesus. All three of these girls sense the calling on their lives to get the gospel to all nations, that the mandate of Jesus is important. And guess what, church? Here's what's really cool. We get to be a part of that with them. We get to be a part of that with them. And this is what the church of Antioch did. It says that after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. The church was saying this, look, Barnabas and Saul, we are with you. As you go, we go as well. And church, here's what I want you to know. The same thing can be true for you with these girls. These girls need people people from our church to come around them, to surround them in prayer, to surround them in support, to surround their families in prayer, to surround their, 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 their families in support, and you can be a part of that. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do today. I'm going to challenge you to go and pick up one of these brochures, to take one of these with you, to look at that. And not only that, if you want to be a part of what they're doing, this is Dave Marshall's email right here. I want you to email Dave Marshall and say, hey, I want to be a part of getting the gospel to the nations. I want to help Lottie, Minnie, and Ruth because I believe it's important. Please do that. Which leads to the very last point, and we'll be quick here. Why did God use this church? Because they were willing to send their best. The two that were sent out by this church were pastors of this church. Think about this. The church sent 40% of their leadership away to go and take the gospel. 40%. These were not just nobodies either. First, we're given Barnabas. He was the first person on the list, which means he was probably the leader of the ministries of the church at Antioch. He was leading all of that, keeping everything um, going. And the other is Saul. 
And we know Saul, I mean, this guy literally wrote most of the New Testament. Saul is a big deal. And this is who they sent out. Church, that would be like this. That would be like right now today, us sending out Pastor Dave and Pastor Steve to another country. The one who leads the ministries and the one who knows the Bible better than anybody else. Right? That's scary to think about, is it not? Right now today, Pastor Steve and Dave coming up right now and said, you know what, we're going. Does it not almost seem like they were asking for the church to die? Doesn't it feel like that? They're asking, it feels like they were asking for the church to die. And we'd ask this question, why in the world would they do it? Why would they do it? They did it because they trusted God and they believed that the mission of God was greater than just the church at Antioch. Antioch was a small thing compared to what God wanted to do around the world. You see, they were willing to give away key leaders in obedience to God and for the good of the people around the, the world. See, I would argue that multiplication and sending like this does not cause death. It actually breathes life into a church. Multiplication breathes life. Let me give you a profile of a church real quick, and we're almost done. Summit Church is in Raleigh, North Carolina. About 15 years ago, they just felt this compelling by God to plant a thousand churches locally and globally um, by the end of their time that they were there. It's been 15 years. You want to hear some astounding numbers? In 15 years now, at the end of 2020, they had planted 660 domestic and international churches. 15 years, 660 of these. And listen to this, of the 46,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, which we are a part of, they have sent the most missionaries overseas seven times more than the church that's second. Now, when J.D. talks about this, he says, this has been incredibly hard. I mean, some of these have been his best friends who have left to go to another state or left to go to another country. But they did a study, listen to this, they did a study, you know what they found out? For every one person that's left their church, 20 people have come into their church. I'm, I'm not in business on a company, on any company, but that's a pretty good rate of return, is it not? For every one they've sent out, 20 have come in. And why in the world would they do this? Or why would we do this? We do this because this is the very missionary heart of our Father. You see, our Father sent heaven's best, Jesus Christ, for the good of the nations. And what we are called to do is to just follow in his footsteps. So I ask you this question today as we end. Are you willing to be sent? Are you willing to be sent? Are you willing to be sent to your neighborhood? Are you willing to be sent to your workplace? Are you willing to be sent to the other side of the world? Or how about this? Are you willing to send your kids? Are you willing to send your grandkids? Dave and Susan Marshall just sent their son, daughter-in-law, and granddaughter to, to Japan. They landed on Wednesday. If you can imagine, there's been a lot of crying in their house over this past week. <laughs> I've talked to them multiple days. It has not been easy at all. But they know why their son and their daughter and their granddaughter are there. And one of Grayson's, at the end of his on one of his Facebook posts before he left, here's what he said at the very end of it. He talked about their journey and how they ended up there, and he said this, We're certainly sad to be leaving family and friends, but we know that the gospel is greater, and that's what drives us to go. Church, the mission of God is worth it. The people of God is worth it. I don't know about you, but I want to be a church that's used by God to change the world. 
May we desire this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. As a man in the 1700s said, God had one son and he was a missionary. And we thank you for that. Because it is because of that that we have life today. But Father, we also know that you've, been, you've given us a mandate, that mandate to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Oh, Father, make us desperate for your presence. Give us a mission both locally and globally. And God, give us a willingness to send the best of us so that we might see the gospel reach the ends of the earth because in that it says you will return for us. We love you, God, and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.